Praise the Lord. Can I have somebody praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Yes. You may be seated this morning. I hope that I have a word of encouragement for you today in these perplexing times that we're living in. When you look around and there's so many people even in our church that is, uh, you know, uh, affected by the coronavirus, even though they may not be sick, they've been exposed and they have to quarantine and not only do they have to quarantine from church, but they have to quarantine from their jobs and a lot of times you can't, some of them jobs you can't work at home and some of them don't pay you while you're off and it's hard on the family and then of course it's hard on the jobs because there's no one there to work and there's shortages going on all over the country over all kinds of different areas and and, and, uh, in the business world, all these shortages because the workers are going through all this stuff constantly and we're living in a hard time and and churches are having a hard time all across America and wondering what do we do in cases like this. I want to thank you for being a faithful people. Even when you're not able to be here, so many of you are gracious to send your tithe and offering in and we help meet up our budgets and we're so forth doing that real well. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for your faithfulness. But you know, it just keeps getting harder and harder and darker and darker. And we got several people that are affected that are sick because of the coronavirus as well. Denny Smothers is home trying to recover. We want you to remember him and Kay and Sister Cheryl Lacey's sick and been in the hospital and we want you to be praying for her and Donna Forsythe has fell and broke her shoulder. We want you to be praying. We could just go on and on and on and we try to put those out on the prayer list as much as we can. We've got several other families out today and, um, and not, not just that going on, but then there's just the spiritual attacks and the physical attacks. And just everywhere you turn, there seems to be oppression in our land. We're going to be talking a little bit about that today and hopefully give you a word of encouragement. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Just one passage of scripture. And the apostle Paul, you can remain seated for the word today the reading of the word, Romans 12 and 12. If they could get it on the screen, there it is. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually instant in prayer. I want you to read it with me, all of us together. You ready? Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually instant in prayer. Let's do it one more time. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Father, again, we just come before your presence. We're asking for your mighty power and your presence to be here with us today. We ask you to encourage this congregation. Lift us up and let us hear a word, a rhema word from you today, Lord, that you might minister to the very heart and spirit of the soul of this church. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 12th chapter of Romans, we are introduced with the practical duties that is recommended in living a Christian life by the Apostle Paul. Paul is dealing with practical things that will help us live a life of holiness that will be pleasing to God. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, that without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. And then, of course, Matthew 5 and 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they're the people that see God. Seeing God is not just for in eternity. I want to see him in eternity. I want to be 
with him in eternity, but it, you know, uh, seeing God is also for the here and now. How many knows that we need the manifestation of the presence of God in the here and in the now? We need to see the glory of the Lord. And those of us that's wanting to see a city revival and a national awakening, we have to realize that it hinges on us being right with God. The manifestation of God is dependent upon God's people being holy. As a matter of fact, it takes a holy remnant to bring about the manifestation of the presence of God upon the earth. Second Chronicles 7, 14, we quote it all the time. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their lands. So we understand that in order for us to see the kind of manifestation that is needed, the church has to be right with God. It has to have a standard of holiness about it. In Romans chapter 12, Paul deals with a very wide span of topics and a variety of Christian ethics, uh, which reveals man's moral duty and the and, and his the, the principles to godly living. We think of holiness only in the things that we do not do. You know, the you know you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this. If you don't do that, you'll be holy. But holiness also involves in doing. We're not only to put off the old man and his desires, anger, wrath, malice, jealousy, things of that nature, but we're also to put on the new man that has been created in righteousness and true holiness according to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 24. We're to put on bowels of mercy, we're to put on kindness, and Paul deals with things like being kind, brotherly love, preferring one another, abhorring that which is evil, not to be slothful within business, blessing them which persecute you and abuse you, having the same mind one toward another, living peaceable with all men, and we are not to mind high things. And he goes on and on. Them are the principles that he teaches throughout the book of Romans chapter 12. He doesn't deal with the malice and anger and jealousy and lasciviousness and idolatry and those kinds of things. The, them are the things we put off, but he deals with the things that we put on, those things that we are to live out, those godly principles, those ethics that we are to live in order that we might be able to please the Lord. But I want to examine our text very closely and see what it is that he's trying to convey to us in this passage of scripture. He says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instantly in prayer. In the pursuit of holiness in the day in which we live, how many find out that it can be quite depressing and very difficult? How many finds out that it's difficult to try to live holy? Amen. We talked a little bit of that last week about that. We live in an age when everywhere you look, there's a constant reminder that it's not practical, nor is it natural for a man to live holy because we live in flesh. We as Christians live in the realm of desire to where we want to live holy and we want to acknowledge the principles that Paul teaches us in this chapter. But the problem lies in the fact of trying to live out those principles that we know is our obligation and that it's our responsibility. How many knows it's hard to love them that persecute you and abuse you? How many knows it's hard to turn the other cheek? How many knows it's hard to put on the bowels of kindness? Come on, it's hard. It's difficult at times. It's hard to live out the practical duties of Christian living with all of the opposition and all of the spiritual warfare that comes against us while we're trying to do it. If you try to live holy, you better get ready for a battle. It, it's just going to be a battle. Every day that you live, you got to 
make choices every day that you live. It's a battle of mind. It's a battle of the soul. It's a battle of bringing your emotions into captivity. It's a, it's, it's, it's a battle to keep your mouth shut. It's, a, it's just a constant battle. It's one thing to know the things that we need to do, but it's another thing doing what we know, especially when there are all kinds of oppositions to keep you from doing it. And I want to tell you something. We must remember this, that God has not required us to do anything that he hasn't given us the power and the grace to do it and to accomplish it. God does not put those commandments out there and then and make them hard to where you cannot do them. You can do all things according to Paul in Philippians 4.13. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. How many believes that? Amen? And we, when we are faced with the impossibilities of life, when things just overwhelm us and it things like there's no way out of this thing, remember what the book of Matthew 17 and 20 says. Verily I say unto you, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, and you shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed hence to yonder place, and it shall be moved, for nothing is impossible with you. And the Bible over and over, Jesus constantly tells us that, it's, that, that, that nothing is impossible to them that believe. Say that with me. Nothing is impossible to them that believe. Absolutely nothing. And then when you're faced with the oppositions of life, when you're faced with temptation and trial and demonic uh, oppression and evil comes against you, remember what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. Can you say God is faithful? And he will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to bear, but will with the temptation provide a way that you may escape or that you may be able to endure it. That is a promise of God that he knows your load limit, that he's not going to allow you to be tempted or tried more than you're able to bear. The simple truth of the matter is nothing can stop us from being all that God has called us to be and nothing can stop us from doing what God has called us to do. I declare in this building today that every single promise that God has given us of the church, it shall come to pass. I declare that every promise that God has given to you as an individual, you're about to see it come to pass. I declare that revival is possible. I declare that awakening is coming. I declare that this church is going into its destiny and the gates of hell is not going to prevail against it. I declare that those that are sick shall live and not die. I declare that those that are sick shall be healed and made whole and not be afflicted. I declare today those who are having financial problems, they shall be blessed with abundance. I declare today that regardless of what you're going through, regardless of what you're faced with, it really, really doesn't matter because the promises of God are yea and nay and in him. You can say amen, so be it. It shall be done. And I'm here to tell you that the impossibilities are going to become possible. The mountains are going to become a plain. The valleys are going to be low down and that you and I are going to have the victory. Just stay true to the promises of God. If you believe that, stand to your feet and give God praise and give him glory and give him honor. Hallelujah. Yes. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Ah, there's something stirring. There's something going along the mulberry trees this morning. Hallelujah. 
I just want to remind this congregation there's not an obstacle too big, a mountain too tall, a valley too low, a, a giant too strong, a storm too dark, a sea too wide that we can't overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I are able to be victors in Jesus Christ. The first thing that Paul deals with in our text, he says rejoice in hope. We're living in a day when people, even believers, have begun to lose their hope, which determines passion drive, energy, vision. You'll not have no vision where there's no hope. You'll have no drive. You'll have no passion where there's no, which determines your fate. It determines your outcome. And the apostle Paul is saying that if you don't have vision, you know what? You're going to perish. People without a vision perish according to the book of Proverbs. And he's telling you that he's wanting you to learn how to rejoice in hope. All too often we allow the storms, the tests, the trials, whatever they are, the pressure, the opposition, there's plenty of it. All these problems come crashing in on us. The circumstances, the difficulties of life, and they rob us of our hope and our joy. When we allow the enemy to steal our hope, folks, we don't have anything left. Can I have an amen? Look around. There's so many people that are hopeless. Right now, we're seeing that our economy's on the way down. We're seeing unemployment rising. We're pe seeing people losing high-paying jobs. Inflation's out the roof. My goodness, just go to the grocery store and just see the inflation. The amount of money that you're getting every day is getting cut in half by the rising prices. They're taxing our gas. They're taxing everywhere you turn. It's more money from the government taxing you again. And it just seems like that everything is going to hell in a handbasket. That's how it feels. It's dark. It's cold. It is, it's de 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 demonic. Things are happening. Things are happening. I don't want to rehearse all of that that I preached on about everything that's going on around our nation. But if you'll look around, it can be quite depressing. And people are losing their hope. And they're losing their peace. People's peace is shattered. People's security is lost. They, what they once put in the bank now, they're saying that the stock markets are, are all over the place and, and your I-401s are losing money and everybody's retirements is losing money and now they're talking about maybe a possible government shutdown and everything in the world's going on. People's faith is beginning to plunder. There's fear all over our country and there's nothing for people to believe in. All hope seems to be gone in a lot of people's lives. They're leaving the cities because of a lack of police and they're going into... And they're leaving the cities because the schools are, are pre teaching perverted things to the children. Even pornography now. They're allowing them to see it at such an age, checking it out even in the own school's library. And, and it's so corrupt and it's so ugly. People just don't know where to go. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, he faced this. He talks about all of the evil that is done under the sun. And he talks about how the all things that is earthly is vanity. And Solomon Solomon, we think that it's bad now. Solomon understood it. There's nothing new under the sun, he said. The very thing that you and I faced, he faced way back there the day that he lived. Solomon speaks of how that the sons of men is full of evil and madness is in their heart while they live, according to the book of Ecclesiastes. He speaks of the oppression upon the earth and the tears of the people because of that oppression. He said the oppressed have no comforter. And on the side of the oppressors, there was power but the oppressed have no help they have no comforter they have no power in other words he said those that are the oppressors they have power they walk around spreading themselves and, and multiplying
find themselves and evil is rampant and it seems like that evil is on a rampage and it's empowered. Why the oppressed, the righteous have no comforter. They have no power. They have no strength. How many have seen that it seems like that evil's winning right now? Every time you turn around, we think we're going to win here only to be pushed back. And some liberal judge will change things. And, and before long, everything that is right and hopeful that brings a little light, it's lost in a court of battle. And we start all over again. Come on, somebody. I'm about to preach a message here. And I want to tell you, it's just dark and dark and more dark. And the oppressed us seems to have no power. We seem to have no voice. We seem to have no rights. Everything is attacking us and it even says that the oppressed cry their tears. They're beginning to lose their peace. They're beginning to lose their comfort and we're seeing it all over the land. The church comes in distraught and down and out with all of the things that's going on on the workforce. All the things that's going on in the home. The sickness seems to be plaguing the houses of God all across the country. Young people are sick. Young people are afflicted. COVID is on a rampage. Cancer is on a rampage but somehow deep inside of me I'm here to tell you that they think that they got power but there is a hidden power that's about to be released upon the earth that they know not of the oppressed won't stay oppressed forever we're about to rise with healing in our wings and we're about to see the manifestation of the glory of almighty God Oh, if you believe it, give him praise. Come on, stand to your feet and give him the highest praise. Hallelujah. Come on, give him praise. Hallelujah. Woo, I feel the Lord moving here today. The Lord's moving in this house. Yes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Solomon, he paints a bleak picture. Listen to what he says. Now this is Solomon, one of the wisest men on the earth. Listen to what he says. I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Wow. Yea, better is he than both they which have not yet been, who have not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Put it in modern day English. You know what Solomon just said? It was so bad in Solomon's day that he said, it's better for those that have went ahead and died than for those that are living. He said, the dead's got it better than the living does. He considered to be better for those that had never been born than those that are experiencing evil and living in the land and the work that's being done by evil men. He said, I praise those that have been dead that they've been able to escape this. He says, and it's better for them that have been, been better not even to be born than to live during this time. That's what Solomon says, not Kent. That's how dark it seemed to be. That's how vexed his spirit was. That's not a man that's got much hope. And yet he had all the riches in the world. He was the king. If he thinks it's bad, then what in the world do you think the people underneath him that had nothing, how do you think they felt? Come on. But Solomon and all of his wealth seen that his wealth couldn't buy what he needed to be bought. 
He seen everything was vanity. He seen it didn't matter that he had everything. When famine hit, it still affected him. There wasn't nothing to buy. Come on, money couldn't buy it. And he found himself in a dilemma and he begins to write this in a book of Ecclesiastics. And then he says in chapter nine, verse four, something gets a hold of him. For him that is joined to all of the living, him that's still alive in the land, there is hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. What does that mean? Matter of fact, he said, in other words, he said, where there's life, there's hope. Somebody help me preach right here. The lion is the king of the beast and the dog is considered the lowest form of the animal kingdom. Solomon was saying no matter how life gets, no matter how deep in the pit you get, no matter how far you have gone, no matter how low you've gone, no matter if your kingdom's collapsing and it seems that you have lost control and you're no longer in charge as the lion, as the king. He said the king of the castle may seem to have lost its control. You've lost your authority. You've lost your promotion. Your benefits have been taken away. Your health has turned. Friends have turned against you. You no longer can make things happen and you're like a lost you have lost the ability to be a mover and a shaker and to get things done. He said, you're no longer a lion. You have lost your strength. You have lost your roar. You've lost your authority. How many have said in the last few days, why is it there's signs and wonders anymore in the church? And it seems like the church has lost its cutting edge. We've lost our voice. The church don't have the authority that it used to have by speaking. When used to when the church spoke, people stood up and listen but now they've turned to death the old line the church has seemed to have died and it seems that we're nothing but a dog that kind of picks up scraps from the table here and there we're the lowest form on earth we're the oppressed we rub up against people like a strange dog trying to somehow earn the right to eat their pet just to survive that's what Solomon said but he said even when you feel like a dog when you feel like you're the lowest form when it seems like you're all hope is gone. He said, you better cook down a little deeper because even in that state, there is hope. I don't care how deep you've gone. There's hope. Let me speak to someone here today. The Lord spoke to me. I mean, in my prayer time, and he wanted me to give this out. You may be watching on the internet or you may be here in person. I don't know. But I want you to understand If you have breath in your lungs, don't couch yourself out. If your heart is beating, it's not over. It's not too late. Where there's life, there's hope. If you're still moving and going and talking and able to converse, I want to tell you, there is still hope. As long as your heart is beating and your blood flowing, there's hope. What is hope? Hope is expectancy. Something longed for. And then another definition that threw me off. Accord as in an attachment. I thought, now God, I don't understand. Then he began to show me in the scripture. Hope is a longing or desire that has a cord tied to it to where you can't let go of what you're wanting. It just hangs on. When everybody tells you, let go, it's over, it's done. Come on, face reality. Hope says I can't. I can't stop believing. I can't stop hoping. Woo! Yeah, but see, uh, you know, uh, 
haven't you noticed that you believed and you believed and you believed and you believed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you've expected and you've expected. But you know, things not only have not turned, they've got worse. Don't care, there's an attachment. Heart's still beating. Yeah, but you've went six foot deeper into your pit. Don't matter. Don't matter. Yeah, but it's gotten dark. It don't matter. Why? Because there's still hope. There's an attachment. There's something inside of me that can't let go. It's like a cord that's attached to something that's stronger than I. Come on, somebody. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17 and 7, while he's in captivity, blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. There's your attachment. No matter how bad things is, as long as we have him, I want to tell you we have hope. Somebody say hope. Say it again. Say it again. Amen. Job and all of his afflictions showed he had hope in the Lord. Listen to what he said. In all of his afflictions, Job 5 and 8, oh, that I might have my request and that God would grant me the things I long for. There's that hope. I long for its attachment. Oh, that God would give me. Now, Job was showing hope in the midst of his dilemma. But it was then that that was that inner longing that kept him from giving up and cursing God and dying with his wife. Oh, why don't you just curse God and die, Job? He couldn't because there's a longing in the heart. Somebody's here going through the worst times of your life, but yet it's the best times because there's an inner pull. There's, a, there's that cord of attachment. There's something like an umbilical cord that is attached to something, a living, that's something vibrant. <laughs> and you can't let go of hope. And everybody's saying, oh, I wish that you even have friends telling you, well, I, I hope that they're preparing themselves. I, ho- I hope, you know, they're just, they're just in denial. Come on. I hope they don't build their hopes up too much and get crushed and get hurt. That's what the enemy will say to you. That's what the enemy is saying to some people right here in this building this morning. And yet there's that attachment. You just don't understand. That attachment's there. But then Job, however, Job was put in the valley of decision because the afflictions just kept getting worse. He kept longing, he kept longing, he kept longing, he kept lo- He kept wanting, he kept desiring, he kept praying. Nothing ever changed. As a matter of fact, they got worse. Job began to ask himself some questions in Job chapter 5, verse 11. I'm about to preach. What is my strength that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? In other words, he was asking Why should I hang on? Why should I keep fighting? What possibly do I have to look forward to? What's my end? This has been a long journey, Job says. And now he's beginning to question himself. Why should I keep fighting? Why should I keep hanging on? Why don't I just give in? Why don't I just roll over like my wife says and just die? Come on. The voices are beginning to get to old Job. The circumstances is beginning to make him question himself. He's not questioning God here. He's questioning himself. He's talking to himself. Some of you have had those same kind of questions in your mind. 
Why, why, am I dumb? Am I stupid? Am I just barking up the wrong tree? Is, is my hopeful expectation all in vain? And what, 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 you know, all them kinds of things. Things even, what have I done wrong or what am I doing right? Every time I look around in the church, I see all these afflictions as a pastor. We're, we're used to seeing miracles. We've seen miracles for 35 years. We're used to seeing moving and shaking. And now you preach and there's an anointing and you sing, there's an anointing and people come to the altar to receive and it's just like mm, dried up. And you pray your heart out and you lay hands and you pour oil all over the place. and You're doing everything that you know to do. And these questions begin to come even to the preacher. What are we doing wrong? What are we not doing right? Is what's going on? All of a sudden you find out you're in a bad place because things seem to not be happening. It seems like you're becoming the dog instead of the lion. You're no longer seeing the results of the king beast. The authoritative anointing seems to have diminished. The laying on of hands seems to not have the punch that it once had. Is anybody here with me this morning? The people that flow in the gifts, it's harder and harder and harder to flow in the gifts. And you'll wonder, what's taking place? That's where Job's at. He was asking, is it worth hanging on? Is it worth fighting? And then an old friend comes by. This time it's a good friend by the name of Zophar. Job 11 and 18. Thou shalt be secure, Job, because there's hope. Yea, thou shalt dig about thee, and thou shalt take thy rest in safety. And I begin to look at that. I like to preach that thou shalt take your rest. That's a word for somebody. Thou shalt take thy rest in safety. He said, your kingdom may be collapsing, Job. Things may be crushing in around you. Things may look bleak. Things may look dark. But it's time for you to dig down deep inside of you because down deep inside of your inner parts, uh, there is a place where God has ministered to you in the past uh, that you can never forget or let go of because it's forever etched in the back in your mind. Uh, you, have you have to stir you up by the way of remembrance just like David did when he faced uh, Goliath. Uh, David said, a lion come to kill my father's son. Sheep and I killed the lion. He said, a bear come to kill my father's sheep and I took him by my bare hands and I killed that old bear. And he said, oh giant of Goliath, you old Philistine, you're no different. David began to encourage himself in the Lord. And no matter what happens, David said, I'm gonna hope in my God. Even if you can't see any results or you can't feel any relief, keep on keeping on. Keep on hoping. Keep on believing. Keep on having that tug. Keep on having that longing. Keep on having that cord attached to the living source. Keep on saying that it's going to happen. Keep on keeping on because I'm here to tell you that God wants you to understand that he's about to produce hope in this place that will be moved in the realm of faith. God help me right here. There's someone here today the Lord spoke to me in my prayer time and this is what I was going to say a while ago and got ahead of myself. But God spoke to me and said, there's somebody here to either here today or watching on internet. Maybe you'll see it at two o'clock today, maybe four o'clock or whatever, but this is a word for one, maybe possibly more. But the Lord, I mean, I had to put it in my notes to remind me because I mean, it was so heavy on me. Somebody's here and they're distraught over your children, almost to the point that it's unhealthy both physically and spiritually for you. Your head's spinning like a 
like a bunch of bees and you're embarrassed at times at what they're doing. You're mad at times. You're upset at times. Your emotions is all over the place. Every kind of emotion and thought has run through your mind. Thoughts of blame, blaming yourself, blaming your spouse, blaming others, blaming the church. There's thoughts of doubt, thoughts of unbelief, thoughts of anger, angry at yourself and all of that stuff. Thoughts of justification, trying to make excuses for your children. Thoughts of discrimination, well, you know, they've been mistreated. Thoughts of rejection, they're not loved like other people's loved. The list goes on and on and on and on. One minute you know that the, the, you're, the things that you're thinking is not right, but they're real emotions. You love your children and you're at the point that's very unhealthy to you. There was a, but God gave me a story that I, I read years and years ago and looked it up on the internet. Brother Zach found it for me. There was a man and a, his son were out hunting out in the Rocky Mountains and it was out there in the Rocky Mountains that his son gets lost from him. It's kind of a cool, a cool evening or cool morning. But out there, you know, weather can change just like that. And the boy got lost up in the high altitude of the Rocky Mountains. And his father couldn't find him. And finally he runs to get help from the rangers. And they get all the helicopters. And they, but they got a short window because a, a light blizzard's coming in. And the temperatures are going to fall. And this boy only has like spring-like clothing on. And they know that he'll die if something don't happen. And, um, and so they search for him. And they searched the dark. Couldn't find him. The snow comes in. The blizzard comes in. They're held up for several hours. And after 48 hours, they finally come to the family. And they look at the mom and they dad and say, we're going to keep our efforts looking. But I want you to know there is no hope. Your son will not be found alive. And that's what the enemy is speaking to this congregation. Is that the enemy is saying they've gone too far. Things are too dark. They're too mixed, messed up. They're too mixed up. Their minds are gone because of drugs. Come on, somebody. Or they've had, they got too much damage in their life. They got too much baggage in their life. It's over. It's done. Face it. Your children ain't going to live a Christian life. That's why the enemy is speaking to all kinds of uh, mothers and fathers in this place. Your emotions are all over the place because you love them. One minute you're wanting to justify them and fight for them. The next minute you're angry at them because you know what they're doing is wrong. And you're all over the board, blaming God, blaming yourself, blaming somebody. or it's, it's, it's just, it's almost eating you alive. This mom and dad begin to weep and begin to cry. And not too long after that, a ranger says, I have found him. And he's okay. And the boy come out and said, it's impossible for you to be okay with what you got on. And the temperature's demon down. He said, well, I'll tell you what happened to me. I thought it was an infant when my memory, but it was actually a, a young teenage boy. And the young teenage boy said, I was piled up underneath a tree, then a thicket trying to stay warm as I possibly could. I couldn't make a fire, didn't have anything with me. I'd hollered until my voice was almost gone, scared. And, I, and, and they, he had prayed. And all of a sudden, two big bull elk appear. And these elk look at him and start walking towards him. He's throwing things at him. He's screaming at him. He's scared. He thinks he's elk. He don't know anything. He thinks he's elk or out to eat him or something. They don't do that, of course. But he's scared. He told the story. And these two big elk just piled in around him, laid down, shoved him underneath them. And when the park ranger walked up, the elk got up and vanished, and there was a big bed, and there he laid. The elk had saved his life. 
for no apparent reason whatsoever. God just happened to look over there and say, Elk, go take care of that kid. Come on, somebody. And I don't care when they say there's no hope, there's always hope. Nothing's impossible to the believer. This is why that David said in Psalms 38 and 15, for in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou will hear, O Lord, my God. David put confidence in the fact that God would hear him when he cried out. David even exhorts all of Israel in Psalms 131 verse 3. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forevermore. David seen God as a rock, a fortress, a deliverer in whom he could trust. He seen the faithfulness of God, that God was trustworthy to all generations. David looked back in his life and seen that God had never failed him in his past and he understood that he would never fail him in his present and he most certainly wouldn't fail him in his future. David said to all generations, look, oh, forever put your hope in the Lord. Psalms 130 verse Seven, he said, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there's mercy, and within him there's plentiness of redemption. Psalms 31 and 24 for be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. All ye that hope in the Lord, I want to tell you, God will strengthen your heart to those of you that will hope in him. Psalms 33 and 18 Behold, the face of the Lord is upon them that fear him, and upon them that hope in his mercy. The eye of the Lord is upon those that have a hope that's got that court of attachment. How, those of you that just can't let go, I want to tell you, God's got his eye upon you. God sees you according to this scripture that God's eyes are upon them that hope in him. You ain't seeing any results. You don't even feel him. You don't even recognize him around, but there's just something there. There's just that cord of attachment. I call it the umbilical cord that's keeping you alive, and God sees you because of your hope. Hope in God where his, is where his riches is found. Colossians 1 and 27 says, to whom God would make known what is riches of the glory of the ministry among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory. We must hope in God. Now that we've established that regardless of what circumstance we may be in, we're to have hope in God. Now Paul tells us to do something else. He tells now this is very important. He tells us now that you've got hope, rejoice in that hope. Rejoice in hope. Before I go any further, let me say this. Ever who I was talking about that was concerned about their children, start rejoicing right now. Start praising. Start magnifying the Lord. Do you know why? Because they're coming back. The Lord done laid it in my heart. They're coming home. They're on their way back even as I speak in the name of Jesus Christ. Every principality and power that has them bind, I bind them in the name of Jesus Christ. I loose the chains off of the captive. I'm here to preach to you the recovering of the sight and I'm here to preach to you the recovering of the captives. I'm here to tell you that that child is not going to be lost forever. Not only are you got to hope, but rejoice that they're coming back home. Can I have an amen? You see, hope isn't what actually gives us the victory. Faith is. That's why that First John 5 and 4 says, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. When one's lost their rejoicing, they've lost their faith in that which they are hoping for. Are you listening to me? One of the signs that you're believing for what you're hoping is how much rejoicing you're doing. We are not to rely upon hope alone, but we are to rejoice in that hope. Our words should not be, well, I hope so. That should not be the words. But our words should be, praise God. Yes, it is so. Amen. So be it. It's done. Hallelujah. 
There's so many Christians that's afraid of being disappointed by hoping and that it never really coming to pass. They're so afraid to where they're afraid to confess anything positive because they might set them up for disappointment. And yet rejoicing makes you become positive about the thing that you're hoping for. Many are afraid to build up their hopes because they're afraid of being let down because they've been hurt day after day, nothing ever coming to pass. Let me ask you a question. Has God or will God really ever fail you? Never. Look at Romans 5, 2 through 5. We'll be closing in a minute. I feel led, led to come to a close. I'm not even a fourth way through. And not only so, he says, by who, let me start all over. Verse 2 of Romans chapter 5. By whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. We have access to God through Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the fact that the glory of God is going to be manifested on our behalf. We rejoice in that. I rejoice in the fact of the hope that I have in me that the glory of God will be manifested. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation work of patience, patient experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. Now we're not just to rejoice in hope seeing the manifestation of the glory of God, but we're also to rejoice in tribulation. In other words, we're to glory in tribulation. How are we going to do that? In the bad times, we praise him. In the sad times, we praise him. In the hard times, we praise him. We praise him in the difficult times. We praise him when the doom and gloom times. We praise him when life don't make sense. We praise him while we're yet hoping. Whatever the day brings, we praise him from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. We praise him regardless of what that day brings. The long sacrifice of praise that we give produces patience. Then patience, when we let her have her perfect work, according to James, it will create experience, the manifestation. And then experience will cause us to entirely want nothing because hope maketh not a shame. We receive that which we have desired because we held on. We held on. We're not going to be let down. We're not going to be abandoned. We're not going to be rejected here, folks. What God has promised, that will he do. And he said, if he said it, we can count on it and we can consider it as done. All we have to do is rejoice and praise him in the midst of what we're going through and showing that we are putting faith to that which we have hoped for. Praising God brings me to fellowship with God. And, and, and when, when I praise God, the Bible tells me that he inhabits the praises of his people. So when I praise him in the storm, I'm inviting God to come in the storm with me that I might experience his manifestation and walk out of that storm not being ashamed. Amen? My rejoicing is the manifestation of my faith that God is going to do it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and my hope is what gives me, makes me believe that it's going to come to pass. That's why that Hebrews 11 and 1 says, but faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence is the things not seen. When we're rejoicing, we're expressing faith in God for the thing in which we're hoping for. Listen to the psalmist. And then, oh, I love this part. Listen to what he said in Psalms 42, verse 11 and 12. As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say daily unto me, where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I yet shall praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. 
Now, I don't know if I'm going to close right here because I wanted to get to my second and my third point, which I will not get to my third for sure. But David was saying, the enemy has come against me and they're like a sword in my bones. He said, they're penetrating me. What they're doing is effective. I feel the pressure. I feel the pain. He said, that enemy comes in like a, a sharp sword and it's penetrating me. It's hurting me. It, the words are cutting me. The words are stinging me. They're effective. They're, they're, they're causing me to have all these bad feelings and all these bad emotions. They're relentless. They're constantly, they speak at me. They mock me. They ridicule me. And they, and they make fun of me daily, he says. Every day they do this. He used the word daily. And they ask, where is your God? Some of you, month after month after month, that's what the enemy's been doing to you. You've been believing for something that's not been coming to pass. You keep praising him for it. You keep speaking positive. And the enemy comes in with a sword. Mm, mm. Where is your God? You're stupid to believe in that. Come on. David said, they're effective. They're penetrating. What they do, cast confusion in my mind. What they're doing puts doubt in front of me. Come on. My mind's like a swarm of bees. I don't know what to believe or hope in anymore. David said, I've been crying out. I've been doing everything that I know to do. And yet that sword, that enemy comes by, pricking me and poking me. And it gets and it hurts my down to the bones of my soul. And he said, the, the enemy's very effective. He don't deny the fact that it's, it's having an effect upon his life. Then all of a sudden, David gets enough of it and he asks two questions, asks himself two questions. Why have I cast down on my soul? And why are thou disquieted within me? Watch this. The term cast down is a shepherd term and David full knew well what he was saying. When the sheep's wool would get saturated with rain and mud and grime and parasites, the sheep would get so heavy that they'd fall over and they could not get back up and that was called what they called cast down and the only way they'd survive is if a, if a shepherd would get up and wring the water out of it and if he didn't shear him some and take some of the wool off it was a constant battle this was a symbol of the believer God's sheep getting loaded down with the cares of life and getting down where the cares of life choke them and they become unfruitful and unproductive and they can't do anything for the kingdom of God because they've lost hope how long are we going to sit around here that's what David's saying how long am I going to sit around here? And more importantly, how long am I going to sit around here and believe in the enemy's accusations and lies concerning my life and my God's faithfulness over my life? David asked, how long are thou cast down on my soul? And then the second question comes, why are thou disquieted in me? In other words, why am I remaining silent? Why am I quiet? Why ain't I standing up and speaking up for myself? When did I, a warrior, cow down and quit fighting? He begins to talk to himself. Then he makes a statement, I will hope in God. And then he says, the way he's going to show that hope is in his next words. For I shall yet praise him. He says, he is the health of my countenance and my God. 
You know what that statement says? David says, I don't have to sit around here like I lost my best friend. I don't have to have a sour face and a sorrowful spirit. I don't have to be in doom and gloom and despair. I don't have to live in fear and torment and doubt and disbelief. I don't have to have confusion of mind. I don't have to sit here in the shadows of darkness and put up with this nonsense. I will praise the name of the Lord and I will sing the songs of Zion. I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving. I'll enter his courts with praise. I'm not going to come in pouting and griping and crying and, and sobbing and mourning. No sirree. I will choose to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I will rejoice evermore. And with my mouth, I will make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I will declare. I will declare. I will speak. I will shout it from the rooftops that God is faithful. It don't matter what they say. It don't matter how they mock. It don't matter how they ridicule. In the midst of it all I will not be ashamed. I will not be afraid. I will not be worried. I will not be afraid to let myself down. I will lift up my head. I will lift up my voice. I will lift up my hands and I will praise the name of the Lord. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, the fruit and the vines will, will bring forth no labor. The olives shall fail. The fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. There'll be no herd in the stalls. You're talking about famine, buddy. They got it. Nothing's working. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Huh. Over and over and over, I'm going to skip because of time. I just feel impressed too. I'm going to stop. I'm going to try to obey God for it because I love to preach and I got a lot to preach. But David is saying, don't get disquieted in the middle of it. Don't get disgruntled. Don't let the enemy shut you up. They're hounding. Talk back. Get sassy. Get brassy. Get in their face. And when then he comes in and says, you're no good, you say, you're right. But woo, boy, he's sure faithful. Come on, somebody. When they come by and say, you're not going to make it, and you're going to say, well, I don't think you've read his report lately. But you don't understand. Oh, I think I do understand that I'm without understanding and that makes it even more possible for God to do something because I can't work in my own understanding. That means I'm a candidate for the glory of God. Come on, somebody. And right now, God's just wanting a house to break loose and praise. Man, just come in and let's get this thing. But here's the problem. Rejoice in hope. Consistent in tribulation. What happens if you praise him today and nothing happens? Are you going to come back in next Sunday in the same shape you're in this Sunday? Because our biggest problem is, is we don't know how to be consistent and persevere in our worship and praise in the dark times. Folks, there are probably 50 scriptures where it talks about how that Abraham was promised a blessing but he, endured, but he received the promise after he endured. You go on and on and on. I got all these scriptures that says that after you've done the will of God, be patient unless 
you lose your reward. Don't, 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 you know, we get right to the brink of breaking through, but we lack patience. And so we quit. We allow the circumstances to control us and we lose our rejoicing and we lose our happiness and we lose our hope and we lose our faith. And when we do, the promise is voided and we lose it. Why is it that the church can't get a momentum going? The enemy has got a momentum going. There is a momentum on the enemy right now that no matter what they do, they're empowered. There's such unity among the, the evil of the land. They're way more unified in their cause than what we are in our faith as a church. We have become react, react, reaction, reactors. That's what I'm trying to look for. They put out stuff and we react to it. When are we going to quit reacting and say, tired of being reactors, tired of playing this game. The oppressor seems to have all the power. Seems like we have no comforter. We have no strength. Seems like we're down and out. Seems like the words the enemy is saying are true. There's no hope. What will be, will be. Hey, you can't change nothing. Have you ever heard those kinds of words? That's a lie of the enemy. I got the power to speak into this mountain, be thou removing it, not down in my heart, and it shall be done. It doesn't mean it's going to be done the first time I pray it. We got a situation in one of our loved ones. Every night I get down and pray, and I've prayed now for over a year and a half. We've not, I have not seen no total movement in it. I've seen God's sustaining grace, but I'm not going to quit until it's over with. And I'm not going to be doubtful, and I'm not going to sit around pout and cry. I'm just magnifying the Lord, rejoicing in the hope because there's a cord. Can't let go of it. Can't let go of it. And then after I am consistent in tribulation, guess what happens? An experience happens. An encounter happens. A manifestation happens. And then I'm not brought to shame. So when the enemy's coming up and mocking me, uh-oh, not no more. I'm unified in my faith. If the church world could get a hold of what I'm preaching today and put into practice, start letting her rip, I mean get happy. I mean just get, just get excited about worship. Get excited about the things that you hope for. About They're about to come to pass. Be like a pregnant woman that's been pregnant for two and a half years and you're so miserable you're about ready to pop. Come on, somebody. And I, I, I'm telling you, if we could get that right, you talking about the oppressor finding out who's really oppressed because let God arise and his enemies be scattered. There's hope in the house of God if we are sure and steadfast because there is an anchor of our soul and it's called hope. Hope. Hope thou in God. Would you stand with me please? Now I want you to prove that the things that you're fighting and the things that you're hoping for is going to come to pass. I want you to prove it to me. 
Uh, somebody getting it. See, hope says, well, I hope that I'll be healed. But rejoicing in that hope says, I'm already healed. And the manifestation it ain't got caught up yet. Amen. Hope says, well, I believe it's going to come. Hope says it's already on the it's already here. Faith says it's here. When you start rejoicing, you're magnifying God that it's already yours by faith. You are taking hold of the promise of God of the thing in which you hope for. Every time you lift up your hands and you don't feel like it and it's a sacrifice of praise, you're showing faith in the thing that you're hoping for will come to pass. You're rejoicing before it ever even manifests itself. And you may have to do that for a season. If he don't do it this week, then wake up. Then If he don't do it today, wake up tomorrow. If he don't do it tomorrow, wake up the next day. And if he don't do it the next day, the week, day after that, and the day after that. If he don't do it this week, do it the next week. If he don't do it the next week, the week after. If he don't do it the week after, do it the month after. If he don't do it the month after, do it the year after. Just keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. If the enemy can make their ridiculous claims, we can make our ridiculous claims. We are claiming that our God is faithful. When they say, where is your God? Well, let me show you where he's at. I magnify thee, O God. I restore thee, O God. I magnify the Prince of Peace. And I want to tell you, when we begin to praise him in the storm, it invites God in the midst of that storm with us. I just want you to get radical for the next 10 or 15 minutes and just praise the Lord. That's what I want you to do. If you're battling some stuff, just come up here and give him a little radical praise. Give him some dance. Give him some shout. Oh, my. Somebody hoping in anything? I'm not trying to work anything. I'm trying to get you to press through to your victory. I want you to start it today. I've been doing this for 10 years. Well, do it 10 years and one more day. <laughs> what? Somebody needs to just walk around praising the name of the Lord. <laughs> yep. Get out of your comfort zone and say, I'm going to praise the name of the Lord. I've been walking around disquieted long enough. I've been around saying, oh, my soul, why are you cast down? Why are you in the mully grubs? Why, why are you disappointed? Why are you fearful? Why are you sad? Why are you crying about? Why are you depressed about? Somebody needs to break through here today.
worship the God who evermore will be. And he opened the prison doors. He parted the raging seas. My God, he holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, we shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to Come the on, God sing. who saves. We yeah. sing to the God who always made the way. Cause he hung up on that cross. He rose up from that grave, my God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord.
in Psalm 71. In Psalm 71, verse 14, the Bible says, but I will hope continually. I'm not gonna let go of my hope. I'm gonna hope continually and will yet praise thee more and more and more. The longer the psalmist had to wait for the hope to be manifested, the louder and more aggressive he said, I'm gonna get in my praise. He says, hey, I wanna continually hope. Nothing's gonna change that. And yet, I will praise thee more and more and more ever how long I have to until I see that which I need manifested. I'm gonna get radical in my praise. I'm gonna show my faith in the thing that I've hoped for. I'm gonna believe it to the point that I've already received it in heart, but not yet maybe in the natural. I receive it in the spirit way before the natural. Amen. I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I want you, and then he says, rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, and consistent in prayer. You can keep praying about it. Keep praying about it. But rejoice and magnify God with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. That you believe the things that you're asking for, that God has already given it to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I wish I had time to preach all of that. That's good stuff. Amen. I want you to do me a favor in closing this morning. I want everybody just to let out a, a, I mean a yell to the Lord. And just tell him you're ready for the manifestation. Just give him a shout of praise. Amen. Yeah. Yes. You go with that shout, but when you come back, you bring it back with you. You be consistent. Let's get the momentum going. Let's come in here fired up, expecting every Sunday. We'll see the breakthroughs that we desire in Jesus' name. God bless you. Because we were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. 